clock is proclaiming that it's creature clock so ring that buzzer it sounds like a lion roar Roar! and open the door to join us for the 62nd meeting of the animal fan club i'm a crow just trying to get to know this snowy owl here meredith and i'm really into gonozoid style journalism right now mike we meet every week at our clubhouse we like to call the dalmatian station talk about our favorite animals what we lack in expertise, we make up for an unbridled enthusiasm and childlike wonder. Wow. So, saddle up that miniature horse and hold on tight for the furriest, fin-filled, and feathered podcast in all of the kingdom animalia. So, listener, you're entering in mid-conversation about ephemera shelves. Yes, welcome. We're talking ephemera shelves. I, Meredith, I got my ephemera shelves on, like, you know, a, a popular internet retailer of questionable ethics. And, right. you know, you can find them elsewhere for just a few dollars. The real challenge, I think, that's going to happen for you and Anthony is that you need to attach them to the wall somehow. Right. Well, of course. They're shelves. So I don't know if Anthony has a drill. Oh, I've got a drill. But I imagine that you do. So I would trust that you could probably <laughs> hang up those shelves, you know, considering whatever type of wall you have, which they're probably plaster. Everything hanging in this apartment I've put up, so. Yeah, yeah. So you can totally handle that. Oh, yeah. Shelves, I've already got it. Shelves, we got it. Under my belt. Meredith, while we're talking yes. home improvements, I just <laughs> recently got this, like, plastic film that you use, like, around drafty windows, you know? Uh-huh. And I kind of created a sort of, like, turtleneck-shaped piece of plastic that I've used to enclose the area around my air conditioners. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because those tend to get a little drafty, wall unit air conditioners. Oh, yes, definitely. So it's like a donut-shaped piece of plastic with an air conditioner sticking out of the middle of it, sort of vibe. (laughs) Yeah. And they've worked wonders. I'm very thrilled about that. Right on. Yeah. That's, uh, I don't know, um, any other home improvement queries? Um conundrums no not really i'm growing herbs on my kitchen windowsill i mean oh darling yeah. right yeah and they're starting to grow i feel like i'm in elementary school science class and we're like growing seedlings yeah <laughs> that's exactly what i'm doing and it's so cool to watch them like pop up out of the soil you just see the tiniest little hint of green poking out and then like the next day it's like oh, boo, like busting out of the soil it's so fun i've been considering this life of indoor houseplants recently and so I think I'm going to start making some moves on that in the next few weeks because it would just be fun to just kind of have some plants but I worry that I'm not going to be able to keep them alive Um, so I need some sort of like plant calendar you know like a plant watering reminder app or something yeah it's tough it it is really tough I kind of go by sight but I know that's probably wrong because by the time I'm seeing it it's like a little too late (laughs) sure 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 so I need to be on more of a regular schedule but they don't die that quickly like they do okay here but some of my old guys that I've had for like five plus years are starting to kind of fall off which is a bummer 
We've lost some old friends this year, but it's okay. It happens. It happens. It happens. But this isn't a plant podcast or a home improvement (laughs) podcast. This is an animal podcast. I think we should probably just kick right into it, Meredith. I don't know how you're feeling. Yeah, it's fine. You know, there's some animal stuff, but like just in the news. It's just another fun owl. There's a snowy owl in Central Park. I'll leave it at that. Oh, there's another famous owl? Mm Mm-hmm. But a snowy owl. So I would just say, rather than talk about it here, because just go to the New York Times article about it. They had great, like, links to people's pictures that they had posted on Twitter of this owl, and they are hilarious. This owl is, like, the most expressive. He's, like, fighting with a crow for a little bit. It's really funny. Just read the article. It's cute as hell. But anyway, but we should just jump into it, I think. Texana, you. Texana, we. Texana who? Texana me. Kingdom. And Amelia, we're not talking about lambs. Philo. Nadaria, nidocytes deliver stings. Class. Hydrozoa, they have a polyp stage. Order. Leptothicata, fecate hydroids. Family. Campanularii, they like a tidal pool. Genus. Obelia, it's also called sea fur. Species. Longissima, that's not some seaweed. It's Obelia Blunkissima. <laughs> it sounds like some like style marking in music. <laughs> yeah, doesn't it? Longissima. <laughs> yes, Obelia Longissima. <laughs> Obos, Obos, Obelia Longissima. Viola, <laughs> exactly. Chelly, Chelly, Longissima. <laughs> uh, look, Meredith, I'm on a Nadarian. I don't know, sojourn. Yeah. We ha- we haven't quite branded it yet, but it's where I go deeper into the Nadaria life. And you'll notice that the sea is silent and that Snidaria has been wrong and that it's closer to Nadaria. So, oh, okay. you know, we're working through the pronunciations as we always are. <laughs> uh, but I've watched more videos, including some clearly like collegiate biology lectures on them because once you start looking for some stuff you start stumbling upon these and there's 11,000 species in the phylum nadaria (laughs) they are aquatic animals they're mostly marine but some do like freshwater life okay (laughs) so within the nadarias there are two basic body forms okay we have the swimming medusa which are Jellyfish, that's what we call jellyfish. That's like the shape of the jelly with the tentacles coming down. It's that format, that body form, okay? And then the other basic body type is sessile polyps. So we know that sessile means that they are like rooted, that they do not travel around. Right. And polyps are, you know, shapes and structures, right? Mm -hmm. Nadaria include like jellyfish, sea anemones, like all these different fun things, corals, they are all Nadaria, right? We are all Nadaria. We are Nadaria. I am Nadaria. (laughs) I am Nadaria. (laughs) I am Nadaria. Both forms, both the swimming medusa form and the sessile polyp form have a single orifice and a body cavity that is used for digestion and respiration. Can you imagine breathing through your bunghole? (laughs) (laughs) No, eating, breathing, and pooping all through the mouth. That's really what it is. It makes me think of that South Park where they would like eat through their butts and then they'd poop out their mouths. Do you remember that? (laughs) (laughs) I do. 
I do. That image of the poops like coming like, like perfectly formed uh, like out of their mouth. <laughs> yeah, just Okay, so now subphylum Medusazoa. We have the jellyfish and the hydrozoans. This is where we start to leave the other, you know, areas behind. Now we get to class hydrozoa, hydroids, hydra-like animals. You may remember talking about the hydra in high school biology. I vaguely do mostly my high school biology teacher was his retirement year, and he was mainly a cross-country coach, so <laughs> we mostly you. just played games like Flash games on the internet. It would be like a yeah. Smarties-branded pinball Flash game, you know? <laughs> You're welcome. That is so specific. Thank you for that that imagery. Yeah. And then, okay, so these hydro, hydra-like animals, the hydrozoa, they're very small. They're predatory. Some are solitary, some are colonial, mostly in saltwater. The colonies can be very large, and some colonial species, in some cases, the individuals can't survive outside of the colony. They are related to jellyfish, obviously. We're in the, still in the subphylum, you know. Right. The actual, like, inclusion of hydrozoa, like, they are cladistically included, okay? The hydro... The hydrozoa are cladistically included with jellyfish, but they're traditionally excluded, I guess, when in terms of like classification. Okay. So, so it. it's not it's at class where we get true deli true jellyfish. The scyphozoa are the true jellyfish, and that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the hydrozoa, which are the hydroids, mm-hmm. the hydroids animals. Other classes of nadarians include like I said, coral, the anthozoa. But, you know, again, those are different classes. We're in the class hydrozoa. They must include a polyp and a medusa stage, a polypoid and a medusoid stage, although some <laughs> only have one or the other, okay? Ugh, okay. here we go. Okay, so the polyps are usually colonial and the medusa are free-swimming. So we kind of keep repeating the same thing here, but, like, this is what we're talking about, all right? yeah. Now we get down to the family, Campanularidae. They are all hydroids, obviously. They like a tidal pool, which is great. Fun, fun, fun. Genus Obelius, <laughs> sometimes called Seafur. And then we get to the species Longissima. That is not some seaweed. Yes. It's Obelia Longissima. So we're going to spend most of our time on the genus because, again, like, this is what's going on. And some of the characteristics of this genus are also characteristics of the other creatures, like of other uh, hydrozoans, right? So this the goal here is like a sort of hydrozoan hyperbole moment, okay? It's a worldwide distribution. These things are everywhere except like the high Arctic or Antarctic seas. They're usually no deeper than 200 meters, like 660 feet from the water surface. They like an intertidal rock pool and extreme lows of spring tides, etc. They have two stages of life cycle. This is the part. So they spend part of their life as a colony of polyps. And then they spend another part of their life as a free-swimming medusa. Sure. Okay. okay. So when they're in the polyp stage of their life, it looks kind of like a budding plant. Mm-hmm. And so that's actually a colony of individuals. Oh. And then the 
individuals all share a gastrovascular cavity, <laughs> which means that if you say you have 10 individuals in one yeah. colony, 10 individual polyps on a colony. So that means you only really need to have like, say, one of them in charge of eating, right? Sure, yeah. Because they all can get the sustenance from that. And so that means that you also get other specialized polyps for defense or some are specialized for reproduction and they're like hydrolyte tentacles. And so these all have super fun names like gastrozoids are for defense and gonozoids are for reproductive polyps, which is super duper like fun. (laughs) Okay. There's no brain or ganglia, but there is a nerve net. The digestive tract is incomplete, so food enters and is expelled through the same opening as discussed. The, um, I mean, it's just, again, we're just really trying to drive home. I'm just really trying to drive home this hydrozoan experience. Okay, so we have the polyp colony. That produces asexually. It attaches to substrates And that was like the stolen term that we encountered earlier. So it's like all these animals interact together to create a sort of infrastructure and then specialize in their own particular thing, right? So then the polyp colony will begin releasing Medusa from the gonozoids. (laughs) And it produces free swimming Medusa with gonads mouths and tentacles my three favorite things all lumped together and the female appearance of the male and female vellum including their gonads is indistinguishable and you can only really sex your hydra by looking inside of it by like cutting it open and seeing whether there's eggs or sperm and so at this stage in life the medusa reproduce (laughs) sexually and they will Fertilize, they'll create a zygote, which morphs into a blastula and then ciliated swimming larva called a planula. <laughs> so now these planulae, they're free swimming for a while, right? Mm-hmm. And then they eventually attach themselves to some solid surface where they begin, you know, attaching to the substrate and reproducing. Okay. So it's like almost as if there's three life phases here. Okay, so we have it's born from the Medusa reproduce this thing. Okay, and they make this little zygote, (laughs) which turns into the blastula, which turns into the planula. (laughs) And so it's free swimming for a while, and then it attaches itself to a surface, like the substrate, right? And the planula quickly develops into one feeding polyp. And that polyp branches off into other polyps through asexual budding. And all of a sudden now there's this colony of polyps. And then that colony of polyps has specialized gonozoids who exclusively just shoot out Medusa into the free water, right? Mm -hmm. And then the Medusa reproduce... And create a zygote and a blastula and a planula. And then that planula attaches to a substrate and then it buds. And that colony of polyps releases hydras. And like, that's the life cycle of a snadar of the hydrozoans. 
Wow. Isn't that fucking bonkers? It's so weird. It's just, I'm like imagining just like a video of this and just the caption would just have to be like WTF. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I wonder how long the process of all of this, like an entire life cycle, how long do you think that takes? I don't know. That's a really great question. Um, let me see if I can find out. Cool. I found just quickly a quick uh, Google that there's research that suggests the lifespan of a planula of the Obelia species was 5 to 21 days. Um, yeah, I don't know. I really don't know. Huh. Um, so weird. Yeah, it's so kind of crazy. Life cycle of a planula. Let me see if I can find it in here. Yeah. Polyp stage, Medusa stage. Polyp stage, Medusa stage. Polyp stage, Medusa stage. Polyp stage. <laughs> but I think this is really interesting because there's that little planula larva and they're just setting out on their own and then they create a colony right. with a bunch of other ones and then they like release the hydra into the water and then they go <laughs> and create more. It's like really kind of wild, you know? I Yeah. Again, I just can't really wrap my yeah. head around it. <laughs> so um, I think there's some interesting things here about societal, like, cooperation. Um, yeah. About the sort of, I don't know, I guess, human centipede, the idea of, like, connecting multiple organisms, sharing a digestive tract is nothing new. <laughs> right. The Nadarias, the Nadarians have been doing it for generations. So it never fails to amaze me. And or surprise um, me. Yeah. Yeah. Same. Same. <laughs> and um I just think that it's really interesting that they reproduce both asexually and sexually. The Salps did that too. Right. And so I, I'm just very much fascinated by this, like a bimodal reproductive method. <laughs> Yeah. With, like, a complex multi-stage life cycle, you know? It's insane. Like, what? What do you think you're doing with that? I don't have any answers, Meredith. <laughs> you know what? Talking about hydras before, it just made me think of, um... Did you play Donkey Kong Country? I don't think I did. Back like, on, 60, on Nintendo Damn. 64? No, this would have been Super Nintendo, actually. Oh, oh yeah, I did play that a little bit. Not a lot. We didn't own a Super Nintendo. There was an underwater thing where it was like, the underwater levels I always found to be so hard, but it was like Donkey Kong, like this big gorilla and his little Diddy Kong, like chimpanzee friend swimming behind him. But there'd be like sharks and like, you'd often be in these like underground, underwater tunnels and there'd be like hydras like chasing after you. Uh-huh. They'd be like these spinny things. Yeah, I don't... I just have such a strong image related to that, like those Donkey Kong Hydras. Sure, sure. Yeah, I don't know those off the reference, but I'll Google them at some yeah. point. Coral Capers. Yes, that was the name of it. Let me see if I can find... Well, you know, Coral is a Nadaria. Oh my god, with the little shark you could ride around. So cute. These games were so... Why don't they have anything with the... And the animals were all so fun. Damn it. You probably have to, like, watch through one of these... Just, like, videos of people playing this shit. Yeah. Which is uh, such a funny concept to me. Okay. Never mind. No, it's chill. <laughs> Sorry for it's that chill. diversion. But that's super cool. Thanks for just blowing my mind tonight. 
hey, I'm happy to do it. I think that there's, like I said, there's some really interesting things here. Like, I wouldn't qualify this as use social behavior, but there's a sort of cooperation thing that's interesting to me in all of this. And I look forward to exploring it more and learning a little bit more about, again, we don't want to call them alternative phylums, but like, you know, the, the phylums that feel foreign to us as vertebrates and help expose our right. chordata privilege. Well, break time? Yeah, break time. Let's do it. Uh, do it. Moving into a new nest? Digging a new burrow? Or just rejuvenating your old den? It's time for some new furniture. But where does one find furniture that meets the specific needs of Class A's? Just head on down to Brand Clubby's new furniture system retailer, Kukinbura, furniture for Class A's. Kukinbura has everything you need, including scrap nest sofas, cavity nest chess lounges, platform nest patio chairs, cup nest credenzas, ground nest grottos, and even straw nest sectionals. Plus, a variety of furniture for all nest types, including Brand Clubby's convertibles. Kukinbura has an extension to the Brand Clubby app, where you can see the product in your home utilizing the new augmented reality tool. Kukinbura? More like cool and beautiful. Use code BEDBUG25 for 25% off at checkout. Free delivery included, using Class Aves Transport. Buy today, you won't regret it. <laughs> Pets, I wish you had also. 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 Pets, I wish you had also met. Also met. You had also met. Meredith, we're back at Pets, I wish you had also met. I love this place. Are you place. excited? Yes, I'm very excited. Um, why don't you go first? Okay, so today on Pets I Wish You Had Also Met, we're going to talk about my brother's kitty cat named Geo, and so this is the kitty cat of Christopher and Shelby and their daughter, Aurora, my niece, um, and it's their kitty cat, and Aurora actually loves uh-huh. Geo, and it's really cute. I think she, like, pulled a, um, like a clump of fur out of him. <laughs> But she just gets like really straight up and down and just like so excited to see him. It's very sweet. But the funny thing about Gio is that he's like huge. Like you see this cat and you're like, holy shit, that's a huge cat. Like he's just big. Everything about him is big. Well, I love a cat with a big personality. Including his personality. <laughs> he's got this like really loud meow. Oh my gosh, such a big uh-huh. personality. He's got this like loud ass meow. He's like real playful apparently he loves to drink like fountain like running sink water <laughs> have you ever heard of cats that do okay. they just love like running water to yeah drink? they go like yeah yeah um and he thinks he wants to be an outside cat oh and he does play fetch i have witnessed this but yeah he's just kind of like a big ass like tabby cat and he often has, like, pictures where dead on he looks, like, the grumpiest. So I, I actually got some stickers of his face made. And I don't know if you can – maybe you can see this. I'm going to try to hold this up so you can see. Oh, yeah. That's a really fun-looking cat sticker. Yeah. I just – you can't see how grumpy he looks. But anyway, he's just, like – He looks pretty grumpy. <laughs> he 
He photographs very dramatically, I'll say that. That's nice. But that's Geo. <laughs> Tell me about your pet. Well, this is not my pet, Meredith, but this is a pet that a friend in the neighborhood had, and I will not divulge this person's identity. Okay. Because I believe this was their first pet, and this was a pet toad, and its name was George. And it was discovered in a window well after a rainstorm and offered to this neighborhood friend of mine who then took it home and put it in an aquarium. And George lived for like six years after that. Go George. Uh Uh-huh. And George existed on a steady diet of crickets. And George was even featured in a middle school science project building an ecosystem. And so he even went to school for a week or so. (laughs) George at school. Yeah. And there was just always, um, I don't know, George got his his name from Curious George because he was kind of peeking (laughs) out from the dude's hand when the dude was capturing him. And the capturer named him. And yeah, George was just kind of a groovy toad. Ruby Toad. Yeah. Although the sex of George was never confirmed. So, you know. Who knows? Who knows? Um, Did you get to spend much time around George? Yeah. George and I got to hang out a couple times. I mean, it was weird because it was like, you know, I don't know, touch a frog like or a toad, I guess. You know, an anurin, right? I mean, like. <laughs> yeah. Like what know, else? Uh, yeah. Which is always nice. And the crickets were fun. Like when we'd have sleepovers, mm-hmm. the crickets would be like. Chirp, 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 chirp. <laughs> you know, and that's kind of an experience. And crickets definitely have a smell. I bet they do. Yeah, they definitely they have do. a smell. Like they're roach friends. Yeah, fucking for real. But yeah, that's my pet I wish you had also met, George the Toad. George the Toad! Love it. And what was your pet's name again? Geo. The fat cat. He's not fat. That's, that's what's crazy is he's not fat. He's just like a massive cat. Yeah. Which are always kind of fun to see. I wish we could both meet Fat Cat proper. Hi, Jenny and Keith. Mimi! <laughs> What's up, Mimi? All right. Uh, break time? Break time. Pets I wish you had also met. <laughs> Pets I wish you had also met. 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 Pets I wish you had met. Also met. Yes. Pets. Texana you. Texana we. Texana who? Texana me. Kingdom. Anna Amelia. We'll discuss plants off mic. Phylum. Cordata. Don't feel bad, Ekino. Don't your day will come. Class. Mammalia. Y'all, this fur looks so soft. Order. Rodentia. Them teeth just don't stop. Family. Crescetidae. It's the largest family of mammals. Genus. Lemus. Won't you step back from that lid, my friend? Lemus, lemus. Don't believe the hype. They don't have a death wish. It's the Norway lemming. <laughs> Won't you step back from that lid, <laughs> my friend? So just like that song being about suicide, we often associate the lemmings with suicide. But I think, as we will learn by the end of today's presentation, that that is all a myth. A myth, I say. <laughs> I mean, I'm uh, I'm curious. I remember playing video games about Lemmings killing themselves. Like, Lemmings is an yeah. entire, like, video game franchise. I did come across that aspect. I was like, 
I clicked on something. I'm like, wait a minute. This isn't about the animal. Okay. This looks like video game stuff. Ew. Okay. Anyway, tax facts. So we can kind of just, you know, kingdom animalia, chordata, mammalia. We got it. Order, rodentia, the best. So cool. So this is about 40% of all mammal species, rodents, BT dubs, found pretty much everywhere but Antarctica. And they are, again, characterized by those teeth that just don't stop. They don't quit. Teeth that just don't quit. So this is going to be your mice, your rats, squirrels, prairie dogs, porcupines, beavers, guinea pigs, hamsters, and gerbils. And, Mike, you'll appreciate this, that rodentia is considered to be like a sister order of lagomorpha. Oh, I love lagomorphs. So, rabbits, pikas, and hares. Yes, yes. <laughs> of swamp rabbit fame, California yes. pika kitchen. <laughs> rodentures. Oh, rodentures, that's right. So, you know, we love order rodentia over here in the Dalmatian station. And then the family of Crescetidae. Um, and so another superlative, this is the second largest family of mammals. And so that might prompt you to ask, well, what's the first largest family of mammals? What's the first largest family of mammals? You know what? It's the Muridae, the mice, rats, and gerbils. Yep. Yes. The Murines. So... The family of Crescetidae, the second largest family of mammals, includes the true hamsters. Not you fake hamsters. <laughs> no time for fake hamsters. Mm-mm. Voles. These are the true hamsters that drive Kias. <laughs> oh, God. That commercial is so weird. <laughs> but this also includes voles, lemmings, and New World rats and mice. So Okay. I'm not entirely clear on what distinguishes a new world rat or mice from like an old world rat or mice mouse but we're not talking about mice today oh yeah yeah it's con i'm sure it's continental yes okay then we get to the genus of lemmis and these refer to the true lemmings because we don't have time for fake lemmings (laughs) no time for fake (laughs) lemmings and so um just lemmings in general are going to be found predominantly in tundra or higher elevations. So, as I mentioned, we are talking today about the Norway lemming, but there's also the other species, the Amer lemming, the Wrangell Island lemming, the Siberian brown lemming, and the North American brown lemming. Ah, that's a lot of lemmings. That's a whole lot of lemmings. And then there's Harvey lemmings, which is Tracy's. Tracy Jordan, the character on 30 Rock, that's his name. That's his lawyer's name, Harvey Lemon. Harvey Lemon. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Wow. But anyway, so the first thing I have under Norway Lemming is cute. Um, because they look like, if you look them up, they look like calico cats, like the coloring of their, their soft fur. Uh-huh. So they're kind of like, kind of shades of, Kind of red and black and brown and white. It's all very cute. Um, and that fur just looks so soft. So they can get up to about like six inches. So they're, I think if I'm remembering gerbils and hamsters correctly, it's going to be like a little bit bigger than that. Just like a little bit. And then, so I have my next thing is constantly on the move. Um, so the Norway lemming actually is just always kind of like shifting. It's not ever really remaining in like the same habitat throughout its whole 
year, for instance. They kind of fluctuate. So things are going to change kind of depending on the season. So when this, they live under these like very complex tunnels and nests under the snow. And I was trying to remember the name. We've talked about this before and I can't remember. It was like a zone or something. Ooh. Um, Between the snow and the, um, you know what I'm talking about? Though? Yes. Uh, snow and ground. It didn't come up in the articles I read. The but, subnivian um, zone. Yes. The subnivian zone. So they have these like. Under the snowpack, it's like this highly complex network of tunnels. And, like, we've experienced this with other rodents. There will be, like, toilet rooms. And then there will be, like, you know, birthing rooms and nesting rooms. So it's all very specific and, like, all under the snow. So you could be, like, walking over a whole network of this stuff. Right. So anyway, so they kind of have to, like, follow the snow. So when the snow begins to melt in the springtime, they kind of have to constantly be going up to a higher elevation. To kind of maintain their under snow dwellings. Uh-huh. But sometimes I guess it says they'll move to lower ground as well to spend the summer months. I'm not sure. And then it kind of like all begins again as things start to get cold and frozen. So they're just always kind of on the move um, in more ways than one, as you will hear shortly. But in terms of their diet, they're herbivorous. And so they're always eating mosses and grasses. And they're able to kind of chew on, like, even tougher grasses than maybe some of their cousins because they've got these, like, intense teeth. They love their grasses. Um, interestingly, they don't hibernate through the harsh northern winter. So they're always, like, finding food. They're always burrowing in their little, like, subnivian pleasure palace. And they're, like, mating the entire time. They mate all year long. So listen to this stuff about lemming love. This is where it gets crazy. I'm here for it. When conditions are right, these guys, unsurprisingly, reproduce like crazy. So listen to this. So they're sexually mature within a month of being born. They mate year-round, like I said. And so they can produce a litter of six to eight young every three to four weeks. Six to eight youngs every three to four weeks. That's just like a, yeah. That's too fast. It's really fast. And so what happens because of this, this results in these crazy population explosions, like every three to four years, it's just going to happen. And so like, there's just, it's unsustainable for the habitat. So they often have to kind of spread out in every direction and it leads to these mass migrations. And there, and there are instances sometimes where like, um, just the geographical, specificities will kind of like lead them a certain way and it might even kind of box them in or kind of really cut down on the amount of available land and so they are fighting even more and just kind of battle royale every season yeah just trying to compete for resources and sometimes it'll lead them to you know maybe expand farther than the environment can sustain them or sometimes it'll even They'll like kind of run up to a cliff and they might jump, but they can swim. They're proficient swimmers. Interesting. And oftentimes it'll be like a means of, you know, finding new territory to migrate into. If they can just cross like a small like river or something, swim across it, they can potentially find an untapped territory, which they need given how quickly the population grows. So that's kind of where this myth came about, about the lemmings. But... 
It's definitely not like a suicidal thing. Okay. Okay. By any means. Yeah. Or a dumb thing. They're not dumb. Sure. At all. Well, you know, Meredith, as you were saying that about their limited habitat range, I decided to look at a picture of the Norway lemming range. And I mean, Norway has a lot of coastline, you know? Yes. There really is not tons of space. So I imagine that they'd run out of... uh, of room pretty quickly. Yeah. But how interesting that it's not actually a form of suicide necessarily, although I'm sure several of them do die in the process of just jumping off of a cliff. Oh, absolutely. I mean, through this whole like population boom, it results in a very steep decline. Like a lot are just they just can't hack it for one reason or another or you know, they're just plain aren't enough resources, so someone will starve. Mm. But I did just want to mention quickly that this is a really funny, they're like apparently super sassy. <laughs> so like they're, they, they're very tiny, obviously, but when they are um, kind of presented by an aggressor or confronted by an aggressor, I should say, they like get real defensive and like really aggressive. <laughs> so th- I think there's a picture, it was on one of the Wikipedia sites where you can kind of see it's like a like an angry little like lemming kind of looking like it's coming at the person taking a picture of it. Uh-huh. Um, so they've been known to attack approaching humans. Um, so they're just like, <laughs> they're just really sassy. Like don't fuck with them. Don't fuck with them. So it's said to be kind of an apo, like one of those aposmatic defenses and that they're trying to say like, stay the F away. I've got this crazy coat pattern i look insane i'm being really loud right now so like they're just trying to like they're just putting their aggression on full display like don't fuck with me even though they're like so cute they are so cute their little noses i can't okay but just like the last thing i will say is that um this and i watched this film it was so weird but the um Part of the perpetuating of the myth of the lemmings being suicidal has been kind of pointed um, or has been directed at this Disney documentary film, nature documentary film from like the 50s called White Wilderness. Okay. And I was reading about this and then I watched the clip from White Wilderness and essentially it was showing lemon lemmings like jumping off the cliff. Yeah, I've definitely seen this clip. But it was like they paid some Inuits like a dollar a lemming. And then they were dumping them out the back of a truck. So you see them kind of like rumble tumbling down this cliff. But they were just being like pushed. Literally dumped out of a truck. Dumped out of a truck down the cliff. What a world. (laughs) It's like, what? And it's kind of disturbing to watch because you're like, you see them just being all clumsy. And you're like, oh, I know you were just pushed into this. So I don't know. Watch that at your own peril. But anyway, that's Lemmings. Well, I loved your Lemmings presentation, Meredith. Thank you. So look them up. Check them out. Yeah, get into it. Live that Lemming life. Harvey Lemmings. (laughs) Harvey Lemmings. Break time. Break time. Are you ready to take to the stage? Are you ready to turn your little rodent dreams into a big reality? Then come on down to Miss Nim's School of Rheumatic Arts. Featuring the best teachers and practitioners of the Radislavsky method of rat acting. 
or what we in the biz refer to as Radislavski Racting. Become the best Racting you can be as you learn to develop the basis of any cactus given circumstances. What kind of rat am I? What don't I like to eat? What does my underground lair look like? Discover your character's magic if... What would the character of Rodney Rat do if he found out his best friend stole his prized pizza slice? Learn all of this and more at Miss Nim's School of Romantic Arts. Some of our most famous students include... Nigel Ratburn. Mary Twizzlesworth. Ratty McButtons. And everybody's favorite... Sir Stinker's Von Cheesecake. <sighs> we have partnered with every animal's favorite, Brand Clubby, to offer you 10% off your first month of classes when you mention this ad. Don't wait. Learn to gesticulate at Miss Nim's School of Romantic Arts. I think it's the feedback, Meredith. <laughs> I was like, how long can we do this? <laughs> we can just keep going. All right. Well, Lorena from Nashville wants to know, are you thumbs up or thumbs down about the Charmin or the Charmin? Charmin. It's Charmin. Charmin. The Charmin I we say Charmin. I'm thumbs up about them personally. Are Meredith. you really? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's really bold for a paper goods company to so aggressively and directly market to the furry community <laughs> as well as the adult baby community. Like, Fair let's enough. just be real. Okay. That's... Like, that's, I feel like that's what they're serving. That's so hilarious. I would have never thought that. You know, I just, like, my first, my gut reaction was like, I don't normally feel like icky about poop stuff at all, but these bears are making me very uncomfortable about it. I guess that's fair. I think that they're ridiculous. It's I think ridiculous. that why I'm thumbs up about them is not that I think that they're a thumbs up marketing campaign or anything like that. Like I uh -huh. just am thumbs up about it because it makes me laugh. That's great. Yeah. Like every time the Charmin bears are in a situation, I'm always just like, this is so thinly veiled, y'all. Like you are literally directly marketing to these two groups. Like there's no question about it. I just love that that shot that they have that they always include where it's like the little bear's butt and he's got like little tiny like pieces of toilet paper all stuck to his butt and I'm like who's getting pieces of toilet paper stuck to their butt like that like in that pattern Meredith I don't know that's your experience that's you know are you true. every wiper like am I I don't I'm every wiper <laughs> it's what I see so your thumbs down yeah I, I can't I it's all this I find it very strange and it's like kind of two of my favorite things like animals and poop but it's like sure i don't know something about it it's like makes me feel a little funny <laughs> sure i did think of you today i got a long form ad on youtube about some sort of gut health circumstance and it was this <laughs> very straight talking woman being like your poop is the thing that tells you most clearly about what's going on inside of your body and i was like meredith yeah. would love this <laughs> I think I know what you're talking about, and I did love it. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, uh, a house unified on Meredith's love of poop commercials and a house divided on <laughs> the Charmin Bears. Ding, ding, ding. Ding, ding, ding. 
Britt from Nashville asks, oh, Nashville heavy listenership. Shout out to Nashville. What's a lemur's favorite sandwich at Panera? Oh my God. The chicken Fontega. <laughs> Obviously. Oh my gosh. I haven't heard that. I haven't even, I haven't considered names of Panera sandwiches in a long time. What, what sandwiches do they have? Um, all right. Well, I'm logging on to PaneraBread.com and I'm clicking on sandwiches. Okay. I love that we're like doing menus now. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Meat, mate pair feet upon has kind of gone the way of the kiwi and or the way of the dodo and now we're doing fast food menus okay chipotle chicken avocado melt classic grilled cheese roasted turkey avocado blt chipotle bacon melt toasted fontega chicken bacon turkey bravo sandwich smokehouse barbecue chicken sandwich toasted steak and white cheddar napa almond chicken salad sandwich tuna salad sandwich Mediterranean veggie, modern caprice, caprese, caprese. and then a turkey sandwich. Okay. I, I was joking when I said Fontega chicken so quickly. I would like to change my answer to toasted steak and white cheddar. Toasted steak and white cheddar. Okay. And here's why. I don't think that they can get that in the jungle. Oh, so you think they go to Panera like as a like super mega treat? Yeah, I don't think that they'd go for like a veggie option or something like that. I think they'd go for something that like they can't get like leafy greens or nightshades or right. you know onions, um, whatever the genus is of that. I'm gonna say like Alkalites or something, Pendleys, alliums. In light of that, maybe I'm gonna go with like the tuna fish. It's like when are they eating like? fish stuff. Maybe they'd be attracted to that as a protein. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, I'm gonna go with tuna fish. Okay, tuna fish. Tuna fish. Um, This is outside of the scope of the question, but do you think they'd do a you pick two or do you think they'd get just a whole sandwich? Probably just a whole sandwich. I don't think they want to fuck with soup. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, house divided. Meredith, I say toasted steak and white cheddar. And I say the tuna fish sandwich or the tuna salad. Whatever it was. Uh, tuna salad sandwich. Tuna salad sandwich. All right. A fish position. Ding, ding, ding. Ding, 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 ding. Okay. So Valerie from Evansville wants to know, do grasshoppers even like mint? And I say, Valerie, thank you for that question. Because how would you feel if your name became associated with like the, like a flavor you hate or something like do they even like mint i could see them actually being deterred by mint because like most bugs and pests are like peppermint is used as a repellent so i'm just gonna go out on a limb and say they probably don't like mint and this is in reference of course to the the drink the grasshopper which is made with like creme de mint you know, it's interesting, Meredith, because I think of, like, cedar as being a scent that repels insects. I think, like, strong aromas, yes, generally. But I just have such this image of Jiminy Cricket and, like, consuming mint-based products that's so burned into my childhood, you know, nerve net that... Wait, Jiminy Cricket ate... Like, I'm not saying that he did, but I'm saying that, like, in my head, I have this image. Like, when I heard the grasshopper referred to as a mint flavor, Uh. it was at an age when I was very much thinking about Jiminy Cricket all the time. So, like, I've always (laughs) had this image of him in my head with, like, a mint-based product. And um, 
So I have always just known that grasshoppers like mint. So it's really hard for me to challenge that concept. So we remain again a house divided. I love that you had like a a um, Jiminy Cricket phase of childhood. Oh, don't worry about him. He's just going through his Jiminy Cricket phase. <laughs> What's up with that kid? Oh, he's in his Jiminy Cricket <laughs> phase. <laughs> yeah. I mean, hey. Aww. Yeah. Sweet little boy. That made me think I'd never seen this before, but I was watching like these old SNL clips and there was one, I don't know, I think it was maybe from like five or six years ago, but it was like <laughs> wishing wells for like sensitive little boys. Yeah. <laughs> the commercial. It was just like a Fisher Price <laughs> well for the little sensitive boy to like lean upon <laughs> and like gaze into. Relatable. <laughs> That's really cute. Yeah. Great. Well, that uh, house divided. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. Keep the questions coming. Animalfanclubpod at gmail.com. You know, we love to hear from you. We sure do. This has been a really fun meeting, Meredith. As always. We're in this new right and tight format. We're really kind of leaning into it. Good. And it's uh, only the best. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, all right. Well, cool. I will. Uh, yeah. All right. Bye. Okay. Bye. <laughs> Animal Fan Club is created and produced by us, Meredith Jurgens and Mike Luno. We also create all our original music and sonic experiences. Send us your listener feedback questions to animalfanclubpod at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram at animalfanclubpod, at Meredith Jurgens and at Mike underscore Luno. And don't forget to rate and review our podcast on your favorite app. That really helps us out. Thanks for listening to our show. We hope it makes your heart and spirit glow. We'll be here next week for another meeting of the Animal Fan Club.